You're listening to Dr. Tim's Aquatic Podcast. Hi, everyone. Dr. Tim and Hillary for another session of Dr. Tim's Aquatics Podcast. How are you doing this morning, Hillary? I am doing good. How are you today? Good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it's already 2022. Yep. I'm just flying, as they say, when you have so much fun talking about fish tanks and corals and stuff. Yes. And today we're going to talk about an important subject. It can get technical, but we're going to try hard to take the technical part out of it and hit the high spots. um, And that is ammonia, where it comes from, how to test for it, why You get different readings with different tests and what to do when you have it and how to control it. Right? Exactly. You know, I thought this was a perfect topic because, you know, people getting tanks for Christmas or for the holidays as gifts. They're starting up those cycles. And I feel like a lot of the questions, not just, you know, people getting new tanks, but throughout the year, we are consistently getting questions about ammonia. And, you know, this isn't a tank cycling podcast. We've got those. If you're interested, go check those out. But this is ammonia because we had a conversation the other day talking about test kits and like different types of ammonia and how ammonia is measured. Like, oh, that's a good idea we should turn that into a podcast so here we are yep plus we got an email that said person's test kit was one number and then they had a product that measure sense size the product i don't mind mentioning it had measures in their tank and that was a totally different number and they were confused and uh you know, you know what what's going on and that was a good question that I think falls right into this because both numbers are right, but you have to understand why they are different and how they relate to each other. And we'll cover that um, in this podcast. Yep. So let's let's get started. And I I uh, I know a lot about ammonia. I did my uh, master's thesis in ammonia toxicity and ammonia excretion in fish. And uh, we'll digress right off the bat. So in my ammonia excretion, what I did (laughs) was uh, had a number of fish tanks set up with uh, uh, little striped bass fry, two-inch striped bass, because this is when I was in uh, raising striped bass, or actually hybrid striped bass. And the question was, you know, how much ammonia do they excrete over a 24-hour period at different rates of feeding? And so you, a pseudo replication is you do one rate and then the next day or two, next week you do another feeding rate and, you know, another feeding rate. But those are done at different times and that's called pseudo replication. So literally had, I don't remember, it had to be about 60 aquariums set up. Ooh, oh, yeah. It's a lot of tanks. A lot. Of, and it was measuring ammonia every two hours for 24 hours. Yeah. Marathon ammonia measuring um, and, you know, was fed them and then was measuring the ammonia and it was it was crazy. Um, but that's what you do for a master's is crazy stuff like that. So I've been measuring. Did you have to do all that by hand or did you have a helper to get no, you through that 24 hours? No helper. <laughs> yeah. Co- oh co- coffee. <laughs> that was my <laughs> helper. <laughs> or maybe a lot of Pepsi at that time. I don't drink Pepsi anymore. I don't drink Aesop. Anyways. Um, so I've, I've done ammonia measurements for a long time using probes, using automated machines, using, um, 
you know, just the the test kits we got that, that anybody can get. And so we know a lot about this subject, which I'm definitely willing to share. So first off, where's the ammonia come from? So the ammonia comes from the fish. Fish, and these are bony fish, you know, the teleost, excrete ammonia. Now, why I'm that specific? Because if you're raising sharks and rays, they don't actually excrete ammonia. They excrete urea like humans. But for us, the vast majority of fish we keep are teleost and they excrete ammonia. And the reason they do that is because it's done with a process called passive diffusion. So they eat and food is basically protein. The protein is broken down or deaminated to get technical and that the nitrogen in the food is converted by the fish into ammonia. Now, NH, NH3, that's the nitrogen. So this is part of the nitrogen cycle. It all starts with the excretion of ammonia from fish. And ammonia excretion is called passive because the ammonia comes out of the fish's gill. They don't urinate like humans do or, or, or you know, dogs or cats with, with a liquid urination stream. Ammonia is a gas that diffuses from the fish into the surrounding water via the gills. And the reason they're evolutionarily designed to do this is there's no energy expended. Doesn't, doesn't, they don't have to use any energy to do this because the fish is a high concentration of ammonia compared to the surrounding water. And so the ammonia diffuses from the fish through the gills right into the water and they don't have to spend any energy with their kidneys, you know, con uh, concentrating it into urea or anything else like that. And so it's very energy efficient. So, so that starts the cycle. You feed your fish. The fish passively diffuse ammonia into the water. And the ammonia is then starts to build up unless you have the nitrifying bacteria, as we've discussed many times. So far, Hillary, so good? So far, so good. Okay, so now what happens? Once the ammonia hits the water, this is where things start to change because ammonia is technically a gas. When I say ammonia, I mean NH3, which is a gas. That's what you can smell if you're using a cleaning solution that has ammonia and you're smelling it. That is the ammonia that you're smelling. But when ammonia is in solution, it forms two parts, ammonia, NH3, and ammonium, NH4+. And together, they form total ammonia. The amount of each, or the percentage of each, depends mostly on the pH of the solution, the temperature, and the salinity. So at lower pHs, the NH4+, or ammonium form, dominates. Lower pH, that meaning means below 6, below 5. And there are charts that you can look at, but below, below 6, almost 100% of the total ammonia in the solution, in the, in the aquarium water, is going to be in the form of ammonium, NH4. Above a pH of 12, things shift, and now all the total ammonia in the water is in the ammonia, the NH3, or the gas form. Then hang on, this will all come together here shortly. So when you're measuring total ammonia or ammonia in your water with your test kits, 
the first thing you're generally going to do is add a solution that's going to change the pH. And it's going to take that pH of your aquarium water and usually drop it, make it very low so that it shifts all the ammonium ammonium in the water into the ammonium for NH4 form because you have that low pH. And I mentioned temperature. Temperature has a little bit of effect and then salinity has an effect too, but they're really not that important. And there are many websites you can Google um, ammonium ammonia calculator and you get a website that you put in the temperature of this your water temperature the ph the salinity and then you're reading and press a button and it'll calculate and tell you you know what the ammonia reading is what the ammonium reading is the two of them but where things get confusing is in this fashion that how you measure them the test kits you're using and what they mean. And we're going to cover that in a few minutes, but let's stick, let's not, let's put that to the side for a second. Okay. Let's just talk about why you need to measure ammonia and why it's important. So you, so the ammonia is excreted passively into the water and it starts to build up. If you don't have nitrifying bacteria to convert that to nitrite and then to nitrate, it'll build up to toxic levels. And how does it affect the fish? Well, two ways. When the total ammonia concentration is higher in the water than in the fish, the diffusion can't work. It actually re reverses. So, so the ammonia that's in the bloodstream of the fish can't diffuse out into the water because simple you know, passive diffusion goes from a high concentration to a low concentration. Well, now... The fish is the low concentration and the surrounding waters, the high concentration. And in fact, what can happen is the ammonia can start diffusing from the water into the fish. And it, so now the fish can't get rid of this toxic ammonia that's in its bloodstream or, you know, inside of it. And just because nature likes to always throw us a curveball. There are exceptions to what I just said. And why that's important is, remember, I talked about doing my master's thesis on ammonia excretion. And I obviously wasn't the first person ever did that. But uh, when you went through and did a literature research, before you do any big project, you look at past research and what people have found. And there was lots of contradictory information. You know, well, you know, this researcher got this level that was toxic. That researcher got this level. And what was what was going on? Well, it turns out that a lot of the early research in ammonia toxicity and ammonia excretion rates were done with goldfish. And goldfish turn out to be one of the few fish that can actually detoxify ammonia internally. Most fish can't what? do that. Oh, yeah. Most fish can't do that. I learn something new every <laughs> single time we talk. Oh, yeah. So they're using goldfish as the model, but as the ammonia builds up, the goldfish is detoxifying the ammonia, and that's why the readings are all messed up. And, yeah, it, it was... A mess. And it was all because of the fish they chose, these, these researchers, because goldfish were readily available 
and they were hardy. Well, if you under under you know what is hardy? Hardy's like well they do they don't die when there's high ammonia. Well, that's because they can detoxify the ammonia. That's why they're quote hardy, which is great when you're setting up a tank, but not so great when you're trying to do super precise ammonia uh, toxicity and ammonia excretion studies. So yeah, throw out all the old studies. Uh, most fish cannot do that. So there you go. Something new for your trivia there. I like it. Um, so, so, and, and that brings up in testing. People want to think that the test kits available to hobbyists are these high-tech analytical instruments. And, <laughs> and, and folks, they're just not. Stop, stop worrying about an email. You know, ple- I'm pleading you to stop emailing me that your ammonia just went from point. 01 to 0.02, or it went down from 0.05 to 0.04. Your test kit can't measure that. Okay, it it just can't. Okay, these test kits are indicators. If you're using the typical test kit um, that changes to a, a greenish blue color, it's yellow when there's none. Stop fretting about whether is it yellow, yellow, green. If it's yellowish, it's very little ammonia, and at the pH in your tank. It's not going to be toxic. I'll get into that in a second. If if within seconds of adding the last reagent, it starts turning, you know, the blue or dark green, yes, now you've got a lot of ammonia. And you don't have to worry about what the reading is. You have to worry about what remedies to take. Okay. But even if you're using uh, you know, the sensei or any of these probes, don't worry about these super you know, being super precise because they're not. They're just not super precise, folks. It takes a lot of work to do precise ammonia readings. And I'm talking about when it's, you know, at that point zero something. And people email us, you know, my ammonia is point oh oh eight. I'm sorry. There's no way you measured ammonia at that level. It's just not going to happen. So test kits are good indicators. They're not analytical instruments and all. And that rant right there, Hillary. <laughs> come back, Tim. Come back. Um, anyway, so what you're what's happening here is that the, the ammonia is building up in the aquarium. It's passively diffusing into the fish, and it turns out ammonia is a neurological disease. Now, uh, people want to say it burns the gills and things like that. It's super high levels might do that, but. Um, basically it's a central nervous system. It's what happens just like if refrigeration systems, big industrial refrigeration systems are based on ammonia being recirculated through the refrigeration piping. And if there's ammonia leaks, or if you're um, doing any type of water treatment with chloramines, which is based on ammonia, you have to wear hazardous breathing respirators because ammonia leaks Eat for humans are very toxic because they get into your lung and, and your body and they affect your central nervous system and you you can you can basically die from this. And the same thing with the fish. And so the easiest thing to do if you have high ammonia is a water change. And you know what what's high ammonia? And this is where we're gonna get a little technical for a second, because as I mentioned, if your pH is six most of the total ammonia is going to be in that ammonium NH4 form. The NH4 is not toxic. It's the NH3 because that is unionized, meaning it doesn't have a charge. It's not NH3 plus or NH3 negative. It's just NH3. An unionized molecule 
can move back and forth into the fish and out of the fish. So the NH4, ammonium, that is ionized. It can't move into the fish. And that is why at low pHs, your fish survive well. You know, they're, they're not dying uh, because the total ammonia is in the ammonium form that is not toxic. Now, that doesn't mean it's not affecting the fish. There's two types of toxicity when we talk about, you know, you know fish toxicity studies. And I guess I did these too. And that is acute toxicity, meaning it's going to kill the fish right away within, you know, a few hours, of a day or two. And typically with toxicity studies, you'll see an LC50 and then a time limit, like LC50, 24 hours. And what that means is the lethal concentration to 50% of the population, the test population in 24 hours, or an LC50 in 96 hours. And there's very specific ways to conduct these tests because this is how they tell whether a substance is toxic. And I won't delve into that too much, but when people talk about toxicity, they're talking about acute toxicity. What is going to kill the fish in a very short period of time? And some manufacturers, well, you know, will say with their with their treatments, well, we're lowering the pH and it's not toxic to the fish. Well, it's not acutely toxic, but Chronically, meaning long-term, even a small amount of ammonia will stunt fish growth and does harm the fish. It's just like if you were growing up in a real poor, you know, an oxygen-poor environment. You're not going to do very well because your body's not getting all the oxygen it needs. So while you don't want to panic, you never want to, you know, panic when, when you have bad water quality and bad water quality readings, you do want to intervene and correct if you have ammonia. And let's let's jump ahead. Your tank is cycled, everything's doing well, and you're getting constant ammonia readings. Well, that goes back to the old wives' tale of fish will only grow to their environment. I'm, I'm sure you've heard that, Hillary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, well, the fish will only grow to the environment. That's what does that mean? Well, that means that basically the environment is too small. The filtration is too small, which is leading to low levels of ammonia. So there's chronically a little bit of ammonia in the water that while not outright killing the fish, is stunting their growth and is affecting them long term. And we don't want that. You should be providing a healthy environment for your fish. And, and that's where this term, you know, well, the fish only grow to their environment. Yeah, because the environment, because basically uninhabitable. Don't overcrowd. Don't put more fish in. Don't overfeed. If you want all those fish, then it's your responsibility to get a bigger tank and have a better filtration system. Yes. Always understock before you overstock. And surprise, fish grow. So, yeah, that little fish you started out with is kind of like the kitten that you got. And now it's a cat. And it's it's a Maine Coon. And the thing is huge. So, um, yeah, realize that things, the fish are going to grow. They're going to grow fast. And uh, it's not always great. You know, my water quality is great. I'll add one more fish is not necessarily the best way to do it. Why don't you enjoy what you have and give them an optimal environment so that they can grow and live long, uh, you know, healthy lives. But that's where that wise tales comes from. 
So even though you may have that perfect, quote, environment and chronic low levels of, of ammonia will harm the fish. And this brings up another controversy, and that is acclimating. And uh, maybe we should do a podcast on this sometime, too. Yeah, I was just going to say, maybe like don't go into depth on acclimating. Let's make that its own podcast. Well, then stay tuned. All right. You know, I'm going to get to see firsthand how you acclimate fish. I'm bringing you cichlids. I'm going to see how you do it. Okay, well, it's quick. (laughs) Believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so because what's happening in the... Tank is Fisher in a bag is Fisher respiring, lowering the pH. Now we know at the low pH, the ammonia they excrete in the non toxic form. But um, and and this is goes to your aquarium. So say what happens long term in your aquarium. We've talked about this. Is the nitrification process adds acid, which is dropping the pH, and so your pH is is low, and the nitrifying bacteria aren't working as fast. Why? Because the nitrifying bacteria are like that gill. The ammonia has to be in the unionized, the NH3 form, to diffuse across the nitrifying cell membrane so that then, then, then the nitrifiers can convert the NH3 ammonia to nitrite. So if you've got a low pH, the nitrifiers can't work as fast because only a very small portion of the total ammonia is in that NH3 form. Most of it's in the ammonium form that is not available to the nitrifiers. And that is why we constantly get emails and calls from people who I've set up discus tank or some type of South American tank, and I've got perfect pH of five, and I used your one and only bacteria, and it's not working. Well, that's because the ammonia is in the wrong form. It's all in the ammonium form, and cycling is going to take a long, long time. <laughs> how's that for how's that for effect? Um, so, as we've mentioned, what you should what what we recommend is that you set up the tank at a higher pH, seven point five or eight. Get it cycled. Build up a big population of the nitrifying bacteria and then reduce the pH. Now you've got this huge population of nitrifiers that each one is individually working slow, but because you have so many, they can take care of the ammonia being excreted versus starting out with a low population in a low pH. Well, when I say they work slower, that means they divide slower. So it's going to take you a long, long time to grow a sufficient population to take care of the ammonia. So grow the ammonia population first and then lower the pH and you'll, you'll have lots of bacteria, each individually working slowly, but still working. Make sense, Hillary? I think so. So, so but what we're, t- we're talking now about test kits. So let's get into this question. You know now that based on pH, how these test kits work. So if you have an ammonia probe, and we've got it in the lab. That's what I used working on my master's thesis, how I was able to uh, do all those tests so quickly and then start all over again. With an ammonia probe, they're called gas-sensing probes. So in that, in the case of an ammonia probe, you're adding something like sodium hydroxide to the water. That 
to, and not to the aquarium water. I'm talking, you wouldn't do this. <laughs> Let's make that clear You're, to your test vial. Okay. And that changes the pH to above 12, which means that all the total ammonia is in the NH3, the gas form. The gas can diffuse across the membrane tip of the probe and be measured. And I, I won't go into the measurements. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about the big ideas here. So gas sensing probes can be very precise, like, like you know, the colorimetric test can be very precise. And the gas, the colorimetric test in a laboratory takes approximately 20 minutes to develop. If you're going to do real analytical chemistry where you're doing knowns and spiking and so that you can measure at these 0. 0.005 and you know, 0.01 levels and stuff like that, you're doing a sisolate method. You actually put your vials as they're developing in that 20 minutes, you put them in the dark, like a drawer or a cabinet or someplace that's completely dark because that method turns out to be light sensitive, meaning ex exposing the reagents to lights even just room lights causes a higher value. It, it increases the color change, and that color change is proportional to the amount of ammonia. So you're actually going to get a higher value than is actually there due to the, just the lights in the room. And no test kit company talks about that one, do they? Or, <laughs> no, because no. that's too complicated. But if you're doing analytical chemistry, it makes a big difference. Now with the, the probe, you know, so it takes 20 minutes. Well, if you have a lot of tests to do, waiting around 20 minutes is just too long. So you can do the probes and the and you can do if you're if you're good, you can get an ammonia reading in about a minute with a probe. So it's very fast an assembly line. You know, just concentrate on what you're doing and keep your nose out of Facebook and stuff like that. Instagram. <laughs> Sorry about that, Hillary. <laughs> but you got hey, now. Hi. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's important when you when you're yes. doing water testing, you need to set your phone aside. You don't want any distractions. Yes. So that's one reason to use the probe is that you can measure these low levels still. But the trick when you're doing low-level ammonia readings, like with my master's and I'm trying to measure 0.005 or 0.01 or things like that, is you're actually adding a known amount of ammonia to the water. So you have to know exactly how much water you have, I mean mills, and you're adding a little bit of ammonia to spike it up because the probe, just like the colorimetric test kits, has a sweet spot where it can read. all. Analytical techniques have a sweet spot where within that range, let's say with a, a color metric test, say between 0.5 and 1.5, the test is super precise, assuming you do everything right. But even if you do everything right, if you go too low, the test kit precision uh, is reduced. And the same for doing too high. If you've got too much ammonia in the system, the color metric test kits can't measure that. It's, it's too high for them. Every, every test has a range. And again, that's not what people want to talk about when, when they're selling you your home test kit. They don't want to talk about the range for this. You know, it can measure anything. It can't. And it, the precision and accuracy across the range is not the same, especially at the low, low levels that everybody wants to talk about. So yep. that's called spiking your samples. And, and again, we won't get into the super analytical techniques, but that's how you actually have to do true analytical. So why am I bringing up these probes? Well, because if you're using 
the sensei, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with the sensei, but you have to understand, it is an in-tank gas-sensing membrane. So what does that mean? You have this little plastic disc, and there's a membrane in there, and the sensei is only measuring NH3, the gaseous form. It is in your tank, which you're not adding sodium hydroxide to that water, because that would obviously put the pH up too high and kill everything. So why did our reader use a colometric test kit and get, I think his value was two, and his sensei was saying that it was only 0.08? Well, because the colometric test kit, you're adding the first drops, that takes the pH all the way down, and you're measuring total ammonia. You're measuring the NH3 plus the NH4. And if you want to know the diff, you know, what, which, how much of each, you have to go to these calculators. Because again, the NH3 is the, only, is, the, is only the toxic portion. And that means that if you had two aquariums next to each other and you had the same amount of ammonia, say you had five milligrams per liter of ammonia in both, but the pH in one tank was six and the pH in the other was eight. The toxic portion of ammonia in that pH, the low pH, is basically going to be zero, and your fish will do fine. Short term, I, I, I'm not saying at all, keep them in there, but they're not going to die you know, in 10 minutes or an hour or two days. But at a pH of eight, I think it's about 10 or 12% of that total ammonia is in the toxic form. And that can be toxic to your fish in 24 to 48 hours. That's why you have to do a big water change. And getting back to your gas sensing membrane and the difference in the test kits. So in the colorimetric test, they're measuring total ammonia. That's why they get two. But the gas sensing membrane that's in the aquarium is only measuring 0.008, I think was the number. And I'm I won't get into the debate whether that's that accurate, but it's measuring much, much lower. Why? Because it's only measuring the unionized, the NH3 portion, which is the gaseous portion that can diffuse across the membrane. So you're only measuring a small percentage of the total ammonia in the tank, and that's why the two values are different. So what you have to do is go to your computer and call up an ammonia calculator and put the values in. You know, you could put in, I, I, I used uh, total ammonia was two. You need to know your pH, your salinity, press the calculate button, and it'll give you a reading of the NH3. And that will closely match what your gas membrane is reading in the aquarium. How'd that, how'd that go, Hillary? Did that make sense? I think that was pretty good. It was a little complicated, especially if you've never, like, if you're not familiar with this, but no, it, it made sense. Yeah. And especially, you know, I, I look at reef to reef and some of the forums once in a while, and people are talking about using these gas sensing membranes, which there's nothing wrong with them, but there's lots of confusion of exactly what is that measuring. And no. that's why when you look at, you know, toxicity studies, it'll say, you know, the LC50 was 0.25 NH3N 96 hours. And that sounds complicated. But what it's saying is that if you have NH3N, an unionized ammonia concentration of 0.25 for 96 hours, 
you can expect to lose 50% of your fish. Well, how does that calculate? You know, so you have to take that 0.25 and put it into the calculators to go, oh, that's going to be, say, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's going to be five or six total ammonia that you're generally going to measure with a color metric test kit. And that's why it leads to all this confusion. It sounds complicated because there's different ways of measuring the ammonia and the gas sensing membranes only measure a portion when they're in your tank. If you want to measure the total ammonia with those, you have to take them out, add substance like sodium hydroxide to get the pH above 12, and then have a stir in a beaker and be stirring it and let the you know gas sensing membranes or the probes measure that. That's the big difference between those two. And and so what what should you do? You know, you've you've have ammonia, you know what we're talking about with the test kits. And the main thing is don't panic and don't worry about, well, you know, I took it to the store and the store said it was two, but my test kit at home says it's one. If you're getting a green reading, then you know you have some ammonia and you should look at is it a new tank and I'm still in the cycling process? Is it an old tank and my pH is really low? You should always measure pH when you measure ammonia because that'll tell you a lot. If your pH is really low, what it's saying is that the bacteria are just working much slower because of the pH. And what I wouldn't do at this point is add a chemical to increase the pH because all you're doing is increasing the pH, which means you're increasing the percentage of the unionized, the NH3 form, right? So you, you measure two at the low pH, everything's fine. Now you increase the pH by adding some type of pH up chemical. You've just drastically increased the amount of the toxic ammonia. And now your fish are definitely in danger. So the best thing to do is always a water change, dilute it. You're diluting all the ammonia out of the system with fresh water. If it's a startup and you're still cycling, do not siphon clean the system. Don't change your filter pad because that's where all the nitrifiers are. They're not in the water. The nitrifiers want to be stuck on a surface. So take the water out at the top of the column of the water and then add new water into the system. Generally, water changes, you know, dechlorinate the water, try to get the temperature close I wouldn't mess with pH at this point. You know, some people want to try to dial in exact pH, but that's not going to happen, especially if you've got buffered water. Just get ammonia-free water into the system as quickly as you can. Yep. And and in um, most older tanks, you know, that's that's the problem is that the pH is just too low, and a quick water change, pH is up, the bacteria immediately start working. Low pH does not kill nitrifiers. That's out there and it doesn't. It just, they just don't work as fast. It's just like, you know, if if you're on your stationary bike exercising in a room and all of a sudden they drop the amount of oxygen in the room, you know, not enough to just kill you, but enough, you know, just to really drop it, you're not going to be able to pedal that bike as fast because there's just not. It's not the right environment. You can't get the oxygen in your lungs to do the workout. And that's kind of the same analogy with the nitrifiers is the conditions are just not right for them to quickly oxidize or convert that ammonia because it's in the wrong form. 
once it gets the pH is up and it's the right form, the nitrifiers can go to work. Uh, but it, the low pH is not killing the, the, the nitrifiers at all. So don't worry about that. Questions, Hillary? Have you, have you had any, you know, as I've, I've been talking kind of nonstop there for a little bit. Um, I do. And I'm not actually sure that it's a question, just like more a thought. So I'm thinking, so if like typically saltwater tanks, they're going to be hanging out at a higher pH, like 8 to 8.4 versus your freshwater tanks that, you know, can be like lower five to seven ish, give or take. So would you say that saltwater tanks could have more of a issue dealing with ammonia problems than freshwater tanks just because they sit at a slightly higher pH or, you know, do they both have issues equally? Does that make sense? No, it does. And, and, and some people want to say, yes, the saltwater tanks, you know, you're more ammonia is more toxic is what they'll say. But just like with nitrite, the counteracting effect is the salt in the water. So, the, the, even though saltwater systems have a higher pH, the higher amounts of sodium and other ions in the water do counteract that higher pH. Not, not a, you know, 100%, but it does help. And that gets super complicated. But uh, and, even, and if you have ammonia, you want to take care of it. But again, don't panic. And I wouldn't say ammonia is any more toxic in, in salt water. It's, it's just, it, it, you know, you've got that higher pH, so you've got to take care of it. Yeah. Okay. But, but, but I mean, I know from my experience, because the hybrid striped bass are uh, fish that can tolerate a wide range or a wide range of salinities mm-hmm. that if you were to take the uh, hybrid, at least the hybrid striped bass at a pH of eight, and you had salt in one tank and it was fresh water in another, the freshwater fish would experience a higher toxicity than the saltwater fish. Even because the salt has a, a positive, you know, it, it counteracts the ammonia toxicity. Perfectly. Like just totally answered my question. Like, all right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you had and, an example for it too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's crazy when you start dealing with uh, ammonia toxicity because pH plays a huge ro- it plays a huge role in the acute toxicity. Meaning, you know, short term they're going to die quickly, and it gets complicated. But once you understand that, you know that that's why you, you don't have water available. What can you do? Well, depending on the fish, you can add salt to the water, just some sodium chloride. That will help. It it won't. It'll buy you some time until you can get you know, and do a big water change or something like that. Just people say, well, I want to change with, you know, I'll, I'll just do RO water. RO water is terrible for fish. Vast majority of from almost all the fish because it doesn't have any nutrient or any uh, ions in it at all. Uh, most fish don't like that. Definitely nitrifiers don't like it. But most fish, tetra, South American tetras, corridoris, angelfish, discus, they don't like salt uh, very much. But the vast uh, African cichlids, swordfish, mollies, platies. I mean, there's mollies and platies living in a salt sea out here, which is, you know, very, very salty. So, yeah. uh, yeah. Um, Short term emergency, I just add some sodium, you know, some table salt, teaspoon uh, per gallon, tablespoon per gallon. uh, And that will help counteract short term the uh, toxicity of ammonia. There you go. 
just do your research before you add anything and make sure that your fish can handle it. I think I think we've covered the ammonia and the difference in the test kits. And the main thing, you know, unfortunately for many test kit manufacturers, they really don't tell you the units because people say, well, my ammonia is uh, yeah. uh, last thing to cover because it's another pet, fee- pet peeve. I got to climb back on the soap. They don't tell you the units in terms of some test kits measure in the ion in units, the ion units. So they're measuring ammonia, or let's take night. Well, we're talking about ammonia. They measure ion, NH3 units. And others measure in units of nitrogen, NH3N. Both numbers can be right, but it's like measuring with a metric ruler or an English, you know, inches versus centimeters. The numbers are correct, but they're different numbers. And so when you say, you know, I've got five, five what? And unfortunately, a lot of test kit manufacturers don't tell you the units that their kits are measuring in. And it it can make a difference, uh, you know, a a big difference. So uh, you've got to be careful in that. And and, and main thing is don't freak out if you have high ammonia. High ammonia doesn't kill your bacteria. Uh, Low ammonia doesn't kill your bacteria. Uh, It will you know, harm your fish. The the fix is a big water change with good chlorine-free, chloramine-free water. Yep. It's amazing how many things that a water change will fix. Right. Uh, Ammonia-removing chemicals in a pinch, sure. I mean, we have our aqua cleanse and it helps, but this is a temporary fix. Okay. Fish live in water, not in aqua cleanse or other ammonia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I've had public aquariums dump 55-gallon drums of this stuff in there. <laughs> and uh, we'll end on, you know, relying to cycle, don't cycle with using chemicals because these chemicals do affect the nitrifying bacteria. And if you get enough of it in there, it'll start affecting your test kits. So you're getting wrong readings because you're uh, of all these chemicals that you're adding to the water. Don't rely on chemicals. You know, they're short-term aids, not long-term remedies. Exactly. Anything else, Hillary? Uh, When are we going to start to see some dad joke videos? Yeah, that's coming. That's this. Uh I got to get a haircut. How's that? (laughs) You can wear a hat. No, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I promise them and you'll get them. All right. Stay tuned. All right, everyone. This has been, you know, uh, more on the technical side. So questions at info at drtimsaquatics.com or on our social media. And, you know, the next podcast will be on questions. And this is a subject you hear a lot about. Ammonia, ammonia, ammonia. Uh, We definitely want to uh, answer your questions on those and make you more comfortable um, being able to measure it and deal with it and know what to do should you have it in your aquarium. Exactly. And if, if there's a topic that you want us to talk about, I know most of our topics have kind of, you know, skimmed the surface, but if you want us to go more into depth, well, if you want Dr. Tim to go more into depth on some of this stuff, let us know. Um, I'm sure he's happy to go more into depth and we can give you some of that content if that's what you're looking for as well. Yep. No problem. And trade show seasons, you know, not so trade show, but there's lots of Palooza's and aqua shows, yes. and uh, we're gearing up um, for the year. So 
definitely come yep. out and check our calendar of events. Come by and see us. We always like it's it's great. You know, the nice thing at these shows is meeting people and talking to people and things like that. Oh yeah, I think our first one for the aquarium realm of things is going to be in February in Orlando for Aquashell, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Check the calendar, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks very much for listening to uh, myself, Dr. Tim, and Hillary on the Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. We appreciate it very much. Good fish. Game.